Hello, Hive Nation. Welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we've brought you leading experts in personal and professional development to share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, and evolve. Throughout 2023, we've had amazing guests from all walks of life, and it was too hard to choose our favorite, because if you asked JB and I, we'd probably tell you every guest we had. So, we put together the list, or our power list, of 2023 of our top performing podcast episodes. So, enjoy these clips from our heavy hitters of 2023. And I think about, I think back of like all the coaches I've had over the years, and I think, you know, what have I learned from them, you know, from what have I got most out of them, and you take little bits and pieces, and I think that kind of develops on who you become as you get older in life and as a coach yourself, right? You take those sort of things, you take the qualities that you think were the great things that worked for me and what didn't work for me and how you make those changes, mm-hmm. and then you get to get to know each of those athletes and you think, okay, what's going to trigger that person, what's going to get the most out of them, and I think that's what you learn, and that's how we can grow each and every day as a coach. So as a spinoff from that then, Trevor, is there uh, is there a certain coach that, that you know, kind of leaned on you more, that influenced you more in the way that you currently coach? I wouldn't say there's a current one. Like, I wouldn't want to just use a particular name, but no. I think there's a lot of things that I've seen in the coaches that I've had, whether it's at the university level, the junior level, yeah. you know, minor level, things mm-hmm. like that, and you you kind of take all those things and I think kind of like I said it's developed who I am as a person and I think it's brought me into taking that sort of passion that positivity and that you know organization and communication I think that's a big one that's grown over the years for me too is just having that communication not only with your other fellow coaches but you know your athletes the parents and yeah. that's involved and I think that's what develops a real good coach as well there's, there's always ways to improve like like I say to everybody there's always bigger fish in the pond mm-hmm. Right, so it's like you can always strive to get yourself better as good as you are around here. There's always going to be athletes that are that much better somewhere else. So what are you going to do? Whether it's your work ethic standpoint or the attitude, or what you got to do to put in that stuff. But there's always ways to improve in all aspects, right? So, and if your weakness right now because you feel like the talent wise is there and it's a, a mental aspect, why are you struggling in those situations? And mm-hmm. have those conversations with people on what's triggering those sort of things, or yeah. why are you blocking yourself thinking you can't do it, right? Because you got to put your Self and being going back to that point we made earlier about being that positive person. And yeah. If you're having those negative thoughts all the time, yeah, it's going to be you know really difficult for you to succeed at that standpoint, and then therefore in life situations. And one key word I like to use, you know, with my athletes in situations when we're talking about this is inspirational. Oh, yeah. Right. So I like to think about like you know when when they're down or something's not going right, what can you offer as a coach to get them to feel like mm-hmm. you know what. I'm still a really good player. I didn't have a good day. I didn't have a good at bat or a good inning or I didn't have a good period or whatever it was, right? So, but realize they have to understand that they're still a great player, an important part of your team, things like that. How can you help them as a coach, right? So, yeah. what are some things? What are you going to trigger? Is it something you warm up out of the back? Do you need a kick in the butt? Yeah. You know, what can you do? Short term memory, too, exactly. right? <laughs> and I think it's finding those relationships with those players. And I always go back to that, it's that inspirational thing of how you can be as a coach to your athletes. Yeah, I love that. To quote the great Ted Lasso, happiest animal in the world is goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> whatever success and whatever route these kids want to go, things like that, if something doesn't work out, but you've given it a try and you've done the best you can to do it, that's going to happen too, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's okay. Like, you know, you go on and just be a successful person in life and, you know, take off some of these qualities and you can bring that out to somebody else and do that. That's awesome. So, yeah. Very proud of these kids. Yeah, thanks for you. That's fantastic. Yeah, and that's that fine balance of having those leaders, but also on the other hand, 
those ones maybe aren't necessarily the great leadership qualities, but how do they feel like they're such an important part of this team too? Yeah, everybody has, everybody has to have to feel wanted. Yeah. You know, as a coach, that's a huge responsibility for you. You gotta make sure that all your athletes do feel wanted. Yeah. So when when you are picking that leadership team, what are the attributes that you look for? Like, yep, yeah, these three people are gonna be my assistant captains, my captain, because dot dot dot. Getting everybody involved is the one thing for sure. Like in regards to, you know, making everyone feel like they're a part. Yeah. You know, things like that. And just leading by example. Mm-hmm. That's the big one. And I think as a coach and a player and all of us in life situations, you lead by example and you want people to read off that. And I think that's a big one for sure. So as a, as a, as a coach, whether it be within a sports type of uh, atmosphere or whether it be a office type of atmosphere, how would you say is the best way to, in order to get everybody together? Communication. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of times people get themselves in trouble because they don't communicate. Okay. Right? When something's tough, they avoid that and they stay away from those things. And I think that's what happens with coaches with their athletes too. I love that. Right? Yeah. It's, you know, I think that's amongst between players and players too, right? Not just with the coaches. I think just having that communications and belief and being positive one another, whether it's a negative situation, how can we build off of this and how do we go forward? Yeah. Right? And I think that's a, that's a big one. That's a fantastic answer. There's been a lot of people talk about the new generation being out in the workforce and how demanding they are and how much they, you know, I, they want to know. Well, um, if you have people involved in your business and they, they have things to contribute, why pigeonhole them? Mm-hmm. And like, why, why? I think that it's a, um, I think it's a, caution to the older generation that there's there's so much fear that someone else might know more than than we do and i'm so thankful when people know more than i do because well it doesn't take very much but um i have a young guy that works with me and he's been working with me since 2000 since 2016 and i've exposed him to everything from like he's involved in all the legal agreements and all the financing agreements and and everything and if i ask him to do a spreadsheet on something i'll have it in my head of what it wants what i want it to look like and he brings it back and it's like 20 times better mm-hmm. so why would i try to harness that and and make him you know go through business with blinders on when he has so much more to contribute and i think that that's going to be the success in hiring this generation is they want to work differently. They want to have flexibility, but they also want to contribute. I don't believe that money is the driver for young, for younger women and younger, younger people. um, Just be prepared and be present and be, be pertinent and don't, think you need to comply with everything that's already there um agreeing is fine but if there's if there's something that could be said to make the decision even better um share it Mm -hmm. and whenever someone comes to me with an idea or um an opportunity I, i always ask them okay what could why is this not a good idea why is this, why would this not work? And so if they say, well, this could happen, well, how difficult would it be to fix that? Mm-hmm. Or what could we do to fix that? And if there's something that is, um, 
you know, say, I want to park my truck in the middle of the ice and leave it there for two years. Well, why is that not a good idea? You know, <laughs> what could go wrong with yeah. that? And what's the most precious gift? And it's not dollars, yeah. it's time. And it, I think that if we change that definition of success um, and take it away from, from monetary and put it into uh, a humanistic type of a celebration, um, we could probably see a shift in in society. But it's that's not going to happen because no. money is such a driver of uh, they they talk about the Fortune 500. They don't talk about the um, time committed volunteer 500. No also don't have the right to take away people's opportunity to fail mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of children that come from means um are so controlled and managed that they don't learn how to fail because failure is like if you don't fail you don't grow it's the greatest learning tool and you know but if something happens that is a little bit of a detriment to you know maybe you break your arm falling off the teeter-totter or you get a sliver going down a wooden slide well so you don't have to remove the whole playground <laughs> no. because you got a sliver like hang on yep. think about it you know don't let you know don't let someone get off the other end when you're at the top right huh? pay attention to what you're doing. First of all, I should establish, and this is for everyone out there who's going to listen to this. I mean, like, whether you're a coach or whether you want to be coach, whether you're a mentor or you can't spell mentor, it's for everyone. Uh, and so when I was in high school, I thought I was uh, a skinny underperforming kid. I sure was skinny. I was like 135 pounds. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of meat on my bones. And now I'm about 163. At the peak of my military career, I was about 175. And so from 135 pounds and kind of like a bit of a weakling, I would say, and all through high school, uh, I kind of thought I was dumb. I didn't do very well on tests. School bored me. Teachers bored me. I'd rather be hunting and fishing. I'd skip class rather than go to class. I mean, that's just the way I was. I'd, school bored me. And so I barely scraped through high school. I barely graduated. And I'm into the military. And in the military, when I signed up, I thought, I'm a skinny, underperforming kid. Now, here's the fun part. What the military did for me was put the challenges in front of me that I needed, that I wasn't getting up until it showed up in front of me called, now you're in the infantry, son. And I freaking loved it because the challenges were something that I understood. They were about kicking ass and taking names. They were about being really disciplined and being really focused, being really driven. And that made sense to me. But I'd never, no one had ever explained it to me before. No one had ever put what I needed in front of me, in front of me. And then the the moment I started seeing that and feeling that, I wanted more of it, of course. So I started pursuing harder and harder things. What's the hardest thing I can do? I'm in. What's the next hardest thing? I want that. So in in special operations, it's called the relentless pursuit of excellence. Well, I had that from a very early portion of my career, marching level, uh, they were active mm. and integral to elements of the various phases of the war. And so I think it's 
public source information. It's open source information that JTF2 uh, was engaged in that process. So they were highly effective. They were commended by allied organizations for their um, high levels of professionalism. Uh, I would say loosely, and I don't want to misquote uh, anyone out there, but I've heard references to the effect that uh, when other allied uh, organizations were looking for partner uh, units to partner up with, Joint Task Force 2 was one of the first to be reached for. So, I mean, uh, Canada's uh, special operations units, which includes um, JTF2 and CSOR, uh, these two units are highly, as, as is all the special operations subunits within Canada, are highly regarded. I didn't flare out on social media. I didn't like chirp about what I used to do and all of that good stuff. But I got a friend, he's called, his name is Seb Lavoie. And uh, in fact, he was on our podcast today, mm -hmm. uh, along with, uh, uh, anyway, our guest panel. And uh, I got a lot of respect for Seb. He's a uh, uh, Retired from the RCMP as a sergeant major of the BC uh, division and uh, a longtime um, tactical officer on the uh, uh, lower mainland uh, ERT and uh, just a large and in charge guy, one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, so Seb and I have been uh, side by side for a couple of years. And uh, he was, he, he chirped at me on a pretty regular basis about, dude, you got to like, you, you got to own the things that you've done. Like, I just found out that you're a world champion in 24-hour solo mountain bike racing. You're telling me now? Like, how come nobody knows that? Uh, I guess I should mention it to people, yeah? Yeah, you freaking shouldn't. Like, you don't, <laughs> he'd be jacking me up for not talking enough and not, like, owning what I've accomplished. And it just, like, I didn't like it, man. It felt super uncomfortable to me. It's just like, I don't, I don't like pats on the back. What I do like is getting my ass kicked. I do like someone poking me in the chest and telling me how I failed. I don't like someone patting me on the back and telling me how I did it well. I just don't have time for that. Tell me how I did it wrong and we're good. And uh, I've probably been coaching for 40 years. And uh, and some of that coaching uh, period, certainly when I was high performance race coaching, like I, I, I've analyzed over 100,000 data files of the, the athletes that I've worked with around the world. I mean, I've been, I've coached. And if you coach long enough, eventually you become a pretty freaking great coach. And there's a difference between a good coach and a great coach. Great coaching takes time. You, it doesn't matter how many courses you do. If you, you can't cram greatness into uh, a, a condensed period of time. Greatness requires time. A lot of it, it requires experience. A lot of it, it requires wisdom. A lot of it, it requires an immeasurable amount of failures. And you're, I mean, the things that you can learn in 40 years of coaching, it, it'll set you apart from everyone around you as a coach. But more importantly, anyone who gets involved with you is going to be freaking lucky that they bumped into you. In one facet, if you even get, a black belt or a, or a first degree don in anything it's never it's sh if done correctly it shouldn't be given to you it should have been earned already so over the course of my life or a martial artist's life they'll understand that you only get in what you put it what you put you only get out what you put in so the effort and the desire and drive to show up do the practice get your beatings keep going like you're not if done correctly in, the, in a healthy dojo it should be earned from the start and not given
Um, I think what my mind immediately went to was like the darker your belt or the more degrees you get, the more responsibility it is, mm-hmm. whether you want that responsibility or not. Because if you're if once you finally get your your first degree black belt in judo, um, you may be considered a sensei, and now you have kids looking up to you, you have younger belts looking up to you. And just the fact that you tie that belt on and step on the mat, you're assuming that responsibility again, whether you want it or not. Whether you whether you, you can't tell kids in the dojo or younger people in the dojo, hey, don't look at me, you know, don't pay attention to what I'm doing. They're, you're gonna get that regardless if you step on the mat. I mean, perfect the craft. Just just from a business standpoint, I started Perfect Craft a couple of years ago. One, admittingly for selfish reasons, I'm getting older. Like, you know how martial artists, we age in dog years. So I feel I'm, I'm only 38, but I probably feel like I'm 58. You know what I mean? Like my body is pretty getting older. I'm still training. But I started Perfect the Craft, which is our YouTube and media arm of Dojo Outfitters. So um I wanted a library and encyclopedia that I could look back on in 10 years or 20 years, or I could show my two boys what I used to do when I was younger. And I thought like, well, perfect the craft. Um, I was watching a lot of boxing at the time and they would call it craft, right? It's a craft. It's an art. It's a craft. And in my head, I'm like, perfect the craft would be a great name for a judo and judo video series. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did it. I, I, mentioned i hit up one of my friends who's an artist in hawaii his name is east three he's a graffiti artist and i said hey can you just hand style this perfect the craft thing and put judo jitsu on it and he just like he's a master of his craft too and he did a graffiti hand style and that became the sticker that became the branding so perfecting the craft is not only in the physical realm it's also in the mental realm the responsibility realm that's that that to me was um kind of dropping the pin on perfecting your craft at all times protect yourself at all times and perfect your craft at all times so it's not just physically perfecting your craft it's you know reading reading content or art of war or mastery or just any type of content that will actually push your skill level in in the positive direction because it's hard enough to just do that if you're not doing all the extra things like minding your diet or eating or 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 anything Fighting another human being in martial arts is hard enough as it is. If you got to fight yourself too, then you're fighting two people. Mutual benefit, like you said in judo, uh, that's one of the founding principles. And if if imagine if everyone in business, which is probably impossible, but imagine if everyone operated in that in that way. It has to be mutual, it, which will never happen because not everyone's a martial artist. Not everyone's not even not everyone even wants it to be mutual. Mm-mm. Some people want it; they want it to only go one way. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just not that kind of individual. It's not how I want to be. So I'm always trying to look at when I work with artists, especially artists that we commission out for, you know, with my ideas, I'll send them the idea or I send them a prompt and the artist will send me artwork back. Obviously they're, obviously they're compensated, but what I really try and drive to is like, I never try and box in the artists that I'm working with, because if I'm going to box them in, I'm going to limit their, I'm going to limit their input. I'm going to limit their, uh, their, their, art and i'm not that's not why i'm commissioning them that's not why i'm working with them i'm working with them because i want them to flow freely and i want them to to express themselves so even in the terms of just like working with an artist i always try and make sure like it's mutual because i like your art but i want you to create with these little bullet points but pretty much anything you put out we're gonna we're gonna work because i already like your stuff so even in just terms of not even monetization or anything else it's just like working with people Let's make it mutual beneficial. And yeah, work. It, it's been working for the last 10 years for sure. 
but I was very fortunate for, for if you're thinking about starting a business, uh, the best time would probably be 10 to 12 years ago. The second best time is today because I was maybe, I was what? It's going to be 10. So I was 28 when I started Dojo Outfitters, which is way young enough because if Dojo Outfitters failed for three years or five years in, and I was like, you know what? It's not working. I don't want to do it. I'm only 32, 31, 33. Like I could still just get a regular job at Costco and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I, when I realized that my age and my youth was my, 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 my strength, which I'm sure all your listeners probably heard before, like time is the most valuable asset, but the younger you start, the better, because you'll make all the big, all big mistakes and all the things that you, all, all, all the bad things that can and will, or maybe will happen. At least you'll be younger and you can always come back. So as I'm almost nearing 40 now, and now I have a family and two kids, now my risk-taking is a lot more strategic. It's a lot more, I can't overextend or overreach myself because if it's not good for my boys, it's not good for me. Mm. So now I can't really take that much risk. Luckily, I was a risk-taker back in the day. So I could still benefit from those dividends and those gains. I could benefit from those losses and those lessons. But I think taking the risk when you're young uh, if everything, if, 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 if it all ends up on double green, if it's a roulette wheel, so what? You could come back and build your bankroll again. It's not a big deal. Well, your mindset drives your receptors, right? How receptive you are to receiving information and how you process the information and, and the lens that you view the information through, it can be completely different. So you can, you, you and I can talk, we can be teaching a course right now and we can have a hundred people and there will be a hundred version of what that course was all about. And this is this is considering that people look at look at the course through a different lens, and so the idea is to bring less of a who owes me what kind of an attitude, and really retake control over that, and really say, okay, how much of these external factors are bear on the outcome here, and how much of this is self created, and how much of this can I overcome so that I become the person I need to be so that I can enact the things that I need to do so I can, you know, achieve the things that I set my the the, the goals that I set or lofty goals, ideally, that I set myself, um, you know, over over an extended period of time. And it's fascinating, how difficult that is. It's fascinating, how difficult it is when you are the person that's inside the body that's lived with this person for 45, 50, 60 years, sometimes, and 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 a, and a reach or achieve some measure of success. So now it becomes your your fallback. It's like, well, you know, I am where I am on account of the things that I did, and I will give you that. You are correct. You have achieved a certain level of success. So there's a lot of good things there. But what is creating issues that prevent you from being just a little bit better? You can be so much more than you are, regardless of how good you are. You know, uh, and, 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 I saw on the Canadian podcast the other day was uh, Terry Fox. <laughs> Terry Fox never uh, never made an excuse because he had one leg to, to run across Canada. You know what I mean? He never mm-hmm. used that as a as a crutch. Mm-hmm. And he still did it. Oh yeah, I mean the victim mentality is prevalent nowadays. Everybody's a victim of something, and they really don't have to do anything because the external world somehow holds them something without them having to put in the work. And uh, as soon as you, this is kind of like being in a passenger seat of a of a bus, and there's no driver. 
So you, you're at the mercy of whoever decides to do anything to you. And I don't like that. That's unnerving. Yeah. What I want is to have some level of control. And yes, there is a ton of stuff we don't control, but there is a ton of stuff that we have control over. It's called our direct sphere of influence. And and one of those things is, is how we address the external factors. And it goes way deeper than that. Imagine if I say, remove 20% of the things you're struggling with, how much better are you? All of a sudden, exponentially, exponentially better. Because a lot of those things, especially depending what they are, they may have some really deep rooted issues that can be catastrophic, you know, and, uh, and, and I think, again, I prefer to look at it this way. If that person truly, truly does not, or doesn't have the ability to address certain things on account of, they just don't want it, or they're, they're too afraid or whatever the case may be, it becomes my job to figure out a way to make that happen, not theirs. Because again, in the same, in the same token, or in the same uh, sort of pulling in the same direction of what we're already talking about, as a leader of the program, now it's my job to do the introspection. How do I change me to be able to communicate effectively with this person? What are the, some of the obstacles that are in my way right now? And why can I connect? And at the end of the day, you may look back and say, look, like we just don't have a connection on account of X, Y, and Z. And maybe Sean Taylor does. Or maybe somebody else that I can recommend does. Yeah. And so for me, I don't spend, I wouldn't spend like a great deal of time if there is a ton of resistance. Strategic communication and, and genuine communication and connection is, is our job, is our job as human beings. And unfortunately, the emphasis on having the ability to do that has been grossly diminished by, you know, social media, by the phones, the texting, you know, people not talking to each other anymore. But uh, I, I, I believe that if somebody has the right strategic communication capabilities, which at Raven, we teach strategic communication. So we're, it's something that I've always been very, very well versed in. And so is Sean Taylor, we will, we will figure out a way to have that conversation be productive. We're all about moving the needle forward. I don't like to spin in circles. I don't like to waste time because time is our biggest currency. You know, everybody looks at time like, well, you know, I probably got time. I'm going to take an hour here. I'm going to take an hour there. Well, because you take an hour on Netflix instead of working on something that truly could be beneficial to your life. And maybe you needed the off gas, or maybe you just needed a reason not to do the things you should be doing. And at the end of the day, if I take this hour and I tack it to the end of your life when you're with your daughter or with your wife and you are now, you know, on your deathbed, and I said to you, I'm going to extend your your conversation with that loved one for an hour, how much would that hour be worth? And the answer is invaluable, yeah. right? And so we don't have any time to waste. We don't have any time to waste. It's actionable items after actionable items, and it is at a different level. And you put in perspective how we live our lives, right? We we tend to get really busy uh, doing things because we're told to do them, right? We're told to go to a university, get a degree, get a good job, get married, have kids, all of that, which is all, all great. But we're never really taught, or not that we shouldn't say that, but most of us are not really taught that we actually need to do all of these things but have something that moves us that is bigger than us right so i think i've mentioned to you guys before that there's the when you think about the maslow's uh 
pyramid of uh, of needs, right? You you have like the lower levels, which is like we need to eat, we need to, you know, we need food, we need water, we need the basic things to live. And maybe back when we were being chased by dinosaurs, that was cool. That was just enough for us, right? But as our society industrialized and we got more sophisticated to the level that we're in right now uh, in, in, in modern society, we become more sophisticated individuals as well. We have the opportunity to, um, to really ponder like who we are. And when we don't, we kind of miss on that last part of the pinnacle of that pyramid, which is transcendence. I think it was Carl Jung who said that whatever you resist, persist. So if you're feeling shame and you're like, I know I'm not feeling shame, I'm, I'm a badass. And you go through life with that mm -hmm. attitude and not feeling it then what's going to happen is it's almost like this little monster that grows on you. It's like an alien that you are carrying, right? That does not have the ability to, to just flow. And the minute we, we, we actually decide to have the courage to sit with those emotions and say, hey, I'm feeling shame and it's okay, but I'm also feeling great, but I'm also feeling happy and I could feel content. All of those things could be true at the same time. And then once you, you start looking at your life like that, then some of the emotions that are really holding us back and are contributing to that negative mental chatter, you, you, you have a different perspective on it. You're like, well, you know what? I get it. This is not, I decide to latch on to a different emotion. I, I accept this emotion. I have it. I, maybe I need to do some more work to understand where this is coming from. Maybe it's from something that your dad told you when you were eight you know yeah and it was just very powerful to you in your life and you have just not been able to overcome it and you need to sit with it and just forgive yourself and your dad and just let it go otherwise it just festers so so this is the kind of stuff that needs to like when it comes to the world of emotions that we probably need to change our mindset the egos we, we need an ego we all need it right it's just part of um it's just part of the the mental program within our brain that sort of guides our personality, we need it, okay? The problem is that the ego tends to be a representative for the a more primal version of ourselves. So the ego is almost there to protect us. For example, if you're doing something that is kind of scary, your ego is like, Dude, don't do that. You're going to fail. Remember, you failed before, right? You're going to fail this time. People are going to think that you're whatever, you know? So this is the, the ego playing, playing what it's, I mean, it's just, it's just doing its function in a way. So we have to, you know, thank the ego for whatever it, it is that it does, because it does help in certain uh, areas, and it certainly it's certainly responsible for creating what we call our personality. It's kind of like the that integrating persona yeah. uh, within our brain. So we need it. But if we actually look, we have a more uh, objective perception of what the ego does, and we just see it as okay, that's my ego is not me. I'm not my ego. I can bend my ego. I can override my egos chattering 
right? I can overwrite it. The most motivated individuals, the most engaged individuals are the most productive individuals. So that's an, that's yet another proof that just people need to have that clarity in their lives. So now let's talk about how you can get there. We just said a few things about how you can go about it. But the first thing that you need to understand is that you don't you don't need to change your job to find your purpose. You don't need to. It's by changing jobs, you don't necessarily upgrade your life. Upgrading your life, it starts with having the clarity to understand what is it that moves you and what do you need to do to show up in this world in a way that it's in alignment with who you are. There you have it, I'm Nation. That wraps up an amazing 2023. We hope you can take the advice, the lessons learned, and the motivation from last year into a prosperous and successful 2024. But don't worry, the Hive Nation is not going anywhere as we're keeping things rolling as we always do every Wednesday starting January 3rd with Chance Burles from The Collective. So stay tuned. We're bringing you more amazing guests in personal and professional development. Hive Nation, for the last time of 2023, we're out.